So, John, what is your function in life? I've been trying to work this out for years. I still can't. <laughs> well, the answer's pretty obvious, Harry. It's to irritate you. Yeah, keep, that does make sense. Dragging you down. Yeah. You, you do a very good job. See, thank you. It's almost as though it's deliberate. So if you were Vinnie Jones, you wouldn't you wouldn't finish me off then? Would that be a... Well, thankfully I'm not Vinnie Jones, am I? No, well, clearly, I'm not, no. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not really sure if I've got it in me. No. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome everybody to Beyond the Box Set, the podcast where today we are pitching prequels, sequels and spin-offs to Survive Style 5+. Plus. Well read. Right. Yes, <laughs> I got the name right. Yay! We'll also be uh, pitching some drinking games and hearing from my listeners with the submissions they've posted on social media. But first, we're going to talk about some of our favourite moments and give a bit of a plot summary. I am Harry, the host with the most functions in life. I'm joined today by Patreon supporter Nathaniel, the guest with the grandest sounding voice. <laughs> Hello everyone, how are you guys doing? Very good. And joining me as always, the co-host who's still finding his function on this very podcast, it's John Lucas. I'll get there one day. One I'll day. I'll find out what, what I bring to the table and when the, <laughs> that day comes. Um, yeah, so uh, welcome Nathaniel and uh, tell us about this film you wrote. Tell us about you and tell us about the film. Oh, uh, well, well, thank you for inviting me on. I think it's uh, a long overdue, in my, my opinion. But no, it's, it's very long overdue. Yeah. Well, this film is a Japanese film from 2004. It has a bit of an odd title, Survive Style 5+. And it's a little bit of a portmanteau. Uh, all the characters um, really have separate storylines, but as you might expect... They cross over. I mean, the most comparable popular film would probably be Pulp Fiction. Um, mm. So mm. let's see where it goes from there. Yeah, like this, I think this might be one of the more kind of obscure films that we do, certainly to English yeah. language audiences, um, films that we've done so far, actually, because um, it didn't really get much of a release, as far as I can tell, in the West. Like, we, we actually watched it on YouTube. So if you do, do find this discussion interesting, the entire film is currently available on YouTube in high quality. So. Um, you can't, there's no excuse not to check it out. But yeah, it didn't really get, as far as I can tell, much of a release. So how did you find it? Well, this sort of all goes all the way back to how I got interested in, in Japanese cinema. So I, I studied Japanese in secondary school, um, and I was interested in watching the cinema of the country that I was learning. So at the time, we had these things known as video shops, where you would go and rent a film, uh, and you'd watch it, and then you'd return it later. And oh, that takes me back. Wow. Yeah, I know, it's, it's... Why, why, why didn't you just get it like online? <laughs> Different time, Harry. Just, just, ha- just have it. And just... Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit of an, an odd concept nowadays. Seems a bit cumbersome, yeah. So <laughs> at the video shop, it sort of had a, a one meter by one meter shelf of of international films, art house films, those sort of things, and in the films that I could see of Japanese, there wasn't very much represented. All they really had was Kurosawa, very familiar name for people interested in Japanese film. So I, I watched one of the films, Hidden Fortress, because I knew that uh, George Lucas had essentially remade the film as Star Wars. So I thought, well, this will probably be a good entry point. 
I watched that, I loved it, and I watched all the other Kurosawa films that they had. So after this, I, I sort of asked myself the question, well, I've seen these films, they're more than 50 years old now, um, I want to see what contemporary Japanese cinema looks like. So I, I looked online and I, I must have found a list on something like IMDb, where someone had just put a ranked list of films that this would have been in the 2000s that they, they liked, they, they, they thought were the best of, of Japanese cinema of, of that decade. And this was one of the ones on the list. So uh, I ended up finding it. I might have even watched the same YouTube copy that you did. And I thought it was a really interesting film at the time. And I ended up buying the DVD, which I think they're all out of print now. So when I had the opportunity to choose a film for this podcast, I thought, well, I thought this was really interesting as a first time watch when I first watched it more than probably 10 years ago. Then I'd like to see how uh, you two feel um, about it as well. So that's the reason why we are talking about it today. Excellent. Yeah. Well, I don't watch enough Japanese films, I don't think. I think that it, it, we seem to get a lot of J horror and a lot of anime, but that seems to be all that kind of gets into the mainstream for or approaches the mainstream in kind of the English language world unfortunately but yeah I really enjoyed this I um it took a little while for me to figure out what it was doing uh, but when you when you do realize kind of it's doing like a pulp fictiony kind of thing yeah once you get your head around what it's doing it, it's so creative like the uh, I love the way it looks I mean we'll, we'll talk a lot about the the set design in this film I thought was fan- absolutely fantastic yeah, so you're one of the reasons why i chose it because i know that your interest in set design and this is is, is mm. got some of the best <laughs> i've seen in a, in, in a film i had so many notes about some of the some of the houses <laughs> some of the interior decorating in this film but we'll talk about it as we break it down but yeah and it, I, it's, it's really funny i thought it was really creative and then also at the end i thought i actually managed to have a fairly decent little emotional payoff which i wasn't really expecting because it's not the kind of film that, for most of it, seems like it's going to have an emotional payoff, but then it kind of does. So. Yeah, yeah, that, that's yeah. what I, I really appreciated because the the front half of the film, it, it's sort of it's looking for those comedy moments, but it really turns quite melancholy towards the end as sort of the stories got start getting tied up, which leads to quite an, an incredible ending. I mean, that last scene. Well, again, we'll get to it when we get to it. But the, yeah, one of the best like final i think i gasped with joy when that final thing happened at the end it was just so delightful like what did you think harry um i it took me a while to get on board with this mm-hmm. like more than a while i think i think i probably didn't actually start enjoying this film until after it was finished and you'd like force it out of it yeah and then, and then i was just sort of leaving it in my head and just thinking about it for this as well and i was like, actually i've really come around on this yeah i could watch this again mm-hmm I mean, I'm looking forward to watching it again. I think it is a film that probably benefits from a second viewing because the second time around you would know where, what to expect from it a little bit more. Whereas yeah. you trying like you do spend a lot of the running time just trying to figure it out at first. Like, mm, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Well, Nate, Nathaniel, would you want to attempt? And this is going to be tricky because this film is Pulp Fiction on acid. But do you want to attempt a plot <laughs> summary for us? Yes, I have prepared for this. I I actually went Excellent. through my DVD and I I took screenshots sort of every five minutes or so in consecutive order. <laughs> So that I can sort of get the, the 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 plot down because it's probably going to be a bit of a challenge for the the audience to understand, but I'll I'll give it a go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We believe in you. All right. So we begin with our main character, who isn't mm-hmm. actually named, but I, I looked up on 
uh, a Japanese website that doesn't really exist anymore. I had to use the Wayback Machine to find it. But his name was <laughs> actually um, Ishigaki. And it starts... Oh, really? Yes, that's right. So it starts with him burying his wife, who he's just killed, in a forest. Mm-hmm. And he, mm-hmm. he delivers yeah. a small monologue about, about this. Then he returns... Which is the most he speaks in the entire movie, isn't it, really? Yes, <laughs> yeah, for the rest of the film, he's, he's pretty silent, honestly. Um, mm. So after this, he returns to his house in his Buick. Um, and this mm-hmm. house is uh, <laughs> quite an extravagant, crazy house. It's a character in its own right, this it's, house. It, it, it looks like he, he lives inside a like an 80s arcade. Yeah, it, like an like, amusement arcade. It's sort of like a Lewis Carroll sort of type house. It really is, yeah. So, I've been watching a lot of RuPaul's Drag Race recently, and if a drag queen could be a house... <laughs> <laughs> it is very flamboyant, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so once he arrives back, he, he goes to the kitchen, uh, he mm-hmm. opens the fridge and opens a carton of milk and he takes a swig then he looks to his right at the dinner table and who is sitting there well it's his dead wife Um, Mm -hmm. spit take and then we cut (laughs) to the next scene where we have two characters in bed they've just made love Mm -hmm. one of whom well we don't know at the time but he's actually a hypnotist and the mm-hmm. other is a script writer for an advertisement agency. So he does television commercials. And what mm-hmm. is peculiar about this lady is, one, is she's, she's quite pushy and forceful as a character. But whenever she has an idea for a commercial, she, there'll, a music cue sounds, and she then records her idea on a little tape recorder. And then after in the film, the actual commercial that she's thought plays. So yeah, this was a good, a good little runner. I enjoyed that. Um, so the yeah, this film loves a music cue. Yes, it is pretty. It's pretty heavy on that, honestly. Um, yeah. So the, the first commercial in this scene is it's a commercial where, well, the man who finishes first finishes first. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, so it sort of it shows it sort of as a as a race, and then the the last person that ends up getting in bed with a lady while the other two are going at it finishes first and crosses the finish line so that, that, this is the type of humor of this film so shortly after this, hilarious there we cut to another scene and we have three uh small-time crooks burglars uh names of jay morishita and suda so these guys have just come from a burglary and there seems to be hints at, at some sort of feeling of attraction between Jay and Morishita. I, I mean, you say hints, and I, I know it is the joke, but like, my goodness. He's literally wearing a necklace with Jay on it. <laughs> uh, but we'll get back to that later. Then it cuts again, and we're on an aeroplane. This aeroplane is... Actually, it's quite well designed as well. It's p- all pink on the inside. The flight attendants yeah. are wearing red with red seats. Um, and on the plane is Vinnie Jones and a translator. Um, they're just flying into Narita Airport. Um, I think these might be my favourite characters. <laughs> the, 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 these two. 
Yeah, when I first watched it, I was like, is that Vinnie Jones? What is he doing in this film? Um, yeah. And I was like, how did he end up in this? Like, what, yeah. what chain of events led him to being in this film? I'm fast. I'd love to know. <laughs> well, I actually, I looked this up. Uh, I, I did read um, an interview on this. Um, mm. I, I'm not sure exactly. My Japanese isn't the best, and I ended up having to use Google Translate. But it was, mm-hmm. it was sort of like, oh, they, they weren't planning to actually have Vinnie Jones or even a foreigner playing that role. But mm-hmm. he ended up just going for it and just asking about it. And Vinnie Jones apparently seemed pretty passionate about it. So they, they rewrote it for him. Um, and the role of his, his translator was... The, the character had been cast in a different role, but they essentially re- rewrote it to be the translator. Um, okay. Oh yeah, it works for me. I, I thought oh, it really works. Really I, I love the humor of. Oh well, we'll get to it. But essentially, in this scene, the flight attendant has asked them to put the seat up, and then Vinnie Jones asks the flight attendant, "What is her function in life?" Um, yeah. And she's a bit flustered by this, and ends up sort of spitting the the question back at him, and he gets very angry. And he starts swearing at her, and then his translator starts translating the swearing. So they're both shouting at this woman in two languages, and she doesn't know what to do. <laughs> so, cut again. We're still going. We yeah. then meet a family of four, just a normal family. Um, mm-hmm. And they are interested in the hypnotist who we just met earlier, uh, mm-hmm. and they've booked tickets. So then we get back to our very first uh, main character. This is where he essentially sits down with the wife and she cooks him a very big feast. <laughs> Man, this was this 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 was difficult because I was watching this on a train and I didn't have a lot of food with me. I was quite hungry. <laughs> and watching this was was not too pleasant really. <laughs> yeah, I was like, where's this gonna go? I was really fascinated to see yeah. like was is it gonna go for like a Monty Python, like Mr. Creosote kind of thing, or is it like <laughs> well, He seemed like for such a small man he really managed to put it away. Like I was like, where did all that food go? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I think also, it, also yeah. like barely a hint of a drink. No, he had, yeah. like, he had like the smallest cup of coffee mixed with like two pounds of sugar at the end. Oh, yeah. But uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So at the end of this scene, after he's polished off a lot of food, the <laughs> wife stands up and then starts attacking him. Then we cut again to the hypnotist's show, uh, which starts uh, with quite a, a an interesting. Oh, this number with, with t- a tiger yeah. and a guy dressed in a rabbit suit. <laughs> <laughs> This was like David Lynchian kind of weird. I loved it. It was just so odd, but really entertaining. <laughs> yeah. And then we cut again, and we're at a board meeting, or a, a, essentially an executive meeting, at some sort of uh, a pharmaceutical company. And we have the commercial screenwriter and the director, presumably, presenting their uh, commercial that they want to be approved by the company. However, things don't go well. For number one, the, the main boss, he gets interrupted by his wife, who's got an emergency. <laughs> the light is out in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> they also don't like his com- her commercial. I mean, understandably so. <laughs> yes, and, and she's very pushy. She literally said, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and she gets a bit cross. Were we supposed to think that she was like some, some big commercial writer? Or was she like just starting out or something? She seemed... Because, because it looks like her commercials well were all quite crap and yeah. that she surely didn't have a penny to her name. 
Well, she seemed pretty established. Yeah, I don't know. Like in this, I think in this world, maybe she's just going through some things at the, at the moment, and she's trying some new ideas. But, mm, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll probably get to this in the discussion afterwards. Mm. But this is a very important character yeah. because the director himself is a director of commercials. Ah. This is his one one and only feature film. And he essentially made his career directing commercials mm. with the uh, essentially a screenwriter who wrote this as well, the, the, the duo. Mm. So this character is essentially the surrogate of our director and the screenwriter. Right. So it's a little indulgent, but he essentially, I think, uses her as an opportunity to present all these sort of crazy ideas that he'd never, ever get made. Mm. Which, which I appreciate. And it, it's, uh, we'll talk about it later, but it, sort of, it contextualizes sort of how the film came to be and why it is the way it is. That's how I feel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, so, was, I was thinking, like, as soon as I worked out that she's an advertiser and she does adverts for things, I was thinking, if this film just turns out to be an elongated advert for, like, that weird milk he was drinking at the, at the, at the start or something like that, <laughs> you know, at the end, it turns out the whole thing was an advert. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> no such so, luck. Then we cut to the burglars who we met earlier have just broken into a house. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll get back to them later, but they essentially find a, a, a pack of playing cards and start playing with that. And then we cut again to the hypnotist show mm-hmm. where the father of the family who had got the tickets is chosen to be hypnotized yeah. by the hypnotist. We also quickly cut to the conclusion of the scene where the wife is attacking her husband where the husband ends up killing his wife again so during the hypnotism the hypnotist hypnotizes the father into a bird Mm -hmm. so he's pecking away when suddenly Vinnie Jones and his translator walk out on stage Mm -hmm. and ask the hypnotist what is his function in life and then they, then Vinnie Jones proceeds to stab him with a tiny dagger, <laughs> killing him. Uh, but he hasn't unhypnotized the father, so the father is still behaving like a bird, <laughs> <laughs> which uh, sets up one of the the central concerns of the film. Very much so, yeah. <laughs> uh, this this murder though, this murder of the hypnotist. I think we found out later, don't we, that this was the at the behest of the the commercial director. She. That's right. Yeah, because she, she put hit on him. Seconds, yeah, the second scene, he makes a joke about her wanting to kill him. Yes. Um, oh, with like her smelly armpits or something. Did want to kill it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, she's she's um, very touchy about that. Clearly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But there seems to be no repercussions. Like Vinnie Jones stabs this guy on stage. Like it's a, it's an open issue. There seems to be no like follow up on that whatsoever. Like it's just okay, he got murdered, I guess. Like Yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, it's um well it's just, it's it's within the world of the film. Yeah, it's dramatic license. So next we cut back to the house where the burglars are playing cards. But they're interrupted because they realize that they haven't been paying attention uh and the family have returned home. And it is in fact uh, are the family uh, where the father has been transformed into a bird. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so they quickly hide with Jay and Morishita uh, hiding in a closet. <laughs> subtle, uh, very subtle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, yes, very subtle. <laughs> so then we cut back to our main character, um, where he's now burying his wife again in the forest. 
and he returns home to see that the bath is running uh, and it's overflowing. So he, he looks over the bath and he's pulled in and it's his wife again. And then proceeds another chase around the house. This time he uh, essentially escapes uh, and ends up going to the killer bureau where the uh, interpreter who essentially runs the bureau and Vinnie Jones is and he hires them to kill his wife mm -hmm. after this Vinnie Jones and the, the interpreter arrive kill the wife and our main character buries the wife again in the forest then he comes home everything seems okay and he goes to sleep and he has a dream where green army men are chasing him uh, and he ends up finding a phone in the forest he rings the phone which essentially rings his his phone uh, in real life and him awake picks it up and talks to his dream self uh, and then he suddenly looks up and his wife is on the ceiling wearing camo <laughs> as you do <laughs> so we cut back to the family where the father is a bird and they're going to various places to try to cure the father so first they go to a hospital where they diagnose that he in fact believes he's a bird and then to a research assistant um, a research place where they want to keep him as a, a test experiment so that doesn't really work out then we cut to the classroom of the the son of the family where the teacher is very critical of the artwork of the the 10 year old students Hilariously critical. I love the one where she's like, oh, this is amazing. Oh, I really like this one. Actually, no, this is really normal. <laughs> this is extremely normal. Just crushing their self esteem. It's fantastic. <laughs> it, it's teacher goals, really. Aspirational. <laughs> so, this time, instead of just burying the body, our main character decides to chop up, up the body. Mm -hmm. uh, and when he returns home, uh, his wife is standing over the balcony uh, and she fires her limbs as projectiles. Um, this was very like Mortal Kombat video gamey. I loved it. Yeah. So next time he burns the body, he comes back and uh, when he gets out of his car, sitting on car is his, his wife and now she can uh, throw flames out of her mouth. <laughs> yeah, I love this little run. It was so good. Um, I was wondering, for this plot... What's the time frame, do you reckon? Like, what, would you what time frame do you think this is all happening through? Because I couldn't tell if it was supposed to be like he's trapped in a, a time loop or if it's just over the course of... Because obviously it concludes at Christmas. Like, there's a, very much a Christmassy element to this yeah. film. Like, yeah, because it, it starts and there isn't really any Christmas d decor. So I, I think it, it, it's something probably at least a month or so okay. this, this goes over. <laughs> I like the idea that she just came back from the dead and just put some Christmas lights up because, you know, it's yeah. just the season. <laughs> 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 yeah, so um, so next week we cut back to our, our commercial screenwriter and she's lost her tape recorder. Mm -hmm. uh, she in fact left it in the same restaurant that the high school girls were. Mm -hmm. So she runs after it, but she ends up deciding that it doesn't actually matter. Then we return to the burglars who are in a sauna. Yeah. And, and Morishita yeah. is telling bad jokes to uh, the other two. And unfortunately, sitting across from them, 
uh, is Vinnie Jones and the translator. And Morishita, not the, the, the smartest uh, guy around, ends up going up to them and tries to tell bad jokes. And it doesn't really work out. Vinnie Jones gets angry and uh, goes to stab Morishita, but Jay gets in the way. He gets stabbed instead. And then Vinnie Jones comments about Morishita being a homo. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then Jay said, no, he's gay. Yes. Uh, well, Jay himself is gay. So there's some resolution with these two characters. So we return to our main character. It's Christmas, as you alluded before. And his wife is uh, full, is, is, is back again. But this time she's dressed up in a, with a cage on her head, in a Christmas stocking. <laughs> it's quite an outfit. Yes, it's, it's an incredible outfit. Uh, and then they end up making up, <laughs> sort of... Um, well, he finally pays her a compliment. Yeah, it's all she wants us. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> he, he, he just says something nice to her. That's, that's it. So we return again to the family where the father's a bird, where the son, well, the mother's having having a hard time, um, but the son, sort of, he, do, he, he says he doesn't matter if his father's a bird, um, he can live with it. <laughs> so we return again to our main character and his wife, and they're getting along fine. And who comes to the door but Vinnie Jones and the translator saying, oh, this, this trip to Japan, it, it meant a lot to me. And uh, killing your wife, it meant a lot to me. <laughs> so I've just got you a, 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 a present just to, to thank you. It's just but not what you want from a hitman, is it, really? <laughs> if, if you no, hire a hitman, you don't no, want yeah, to turn back up again after the fact with a gift basket. It's like, <laughs> please never speak to me again. Covered in fingerprints. Yeah. <laughs> so but when he opens the door, Vinnie Jones acts accidentally gets a glimpse of his wife who he thought he killed mm-hmm. uh, and he gets upset about this and the husband of course now he doesn't want his wife to die mm. so they end up killing his wife he ends up burying the body but she doesn't come back alive Aww. yeah very sad so <laughs> then one thing we haven't mentioned is that uh, the father is a bird throughout this entire time has always had a desire to fly mm-hmm. uh, and in the scenes with the son you see him on a hillside trying to fly predictably he falls he breaks his arm at one point jumping off a roof yeah <laughs> so we're moving into the conclusion of the story mm-hmm. our main character goes to the office of the uh, the killer agency uh, w- one thing that we didn't mention is that the translator also takes photographs of the the murder victim mm-hmm. and he puts them up on the walls of the the killer agents which again doesn't so, seem like the best way to cover your tracks but we will we'll, 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 we'll let it slide i guess <laughs> oh i think it's a nice artistic decision yeah, yeah, yeah. it it's makes it a land office look quite bizarre yeah. <laughs> seeing all these dead bodies so when he gets there he sees the wife the picture of, of the wife who vinnie jones is killed again he burns the picture uh, and then he jumps out the mi- window, uh, attempting to commit suicide. But he's saved <laughs> as the father catches him, and he's flying. <laughs> oh, I and love the, this. the, the uh, essentially end scene is, is his, his father flying through Tokyo. We see a couple of the characters from the story, the three burglars. The One of them has got a job. The other two are in love. Mm. We see the commercial writer in a taxi. Uh, and the film ends. Yeah, that, a fantastic ending. Yeah. I, 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 just a, just the image of the the guy in the business suit flying with the other guy on his back, and that, 
the, the, that, that punk cover, I Will Survive, for some reason, playing over the credits. It was, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> very good, very good. Yeah, very, very, a very creative film. Definitely not one of those ones that you, you know, definitely not something you say every day. So, yeah, well summarised, Nathaniel, very good. Uh, which of these of these five uh, plot lines, then, what was your, would you say was your favourite? Well, I, probably the, the main plot line mm-hmm. with uh, the, the husband and the wife, mm-hmm. just because of how amazing the set design of the house is, mm-hmm. how beautiful the wife is, as well as all her costume changes as well. Mm-hmm. It's sort of a... It's it's really amazing like to see because every time she comes back alive, she's wearing a different costume, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and it, it goes a, a very uh, interesting sort of uh, transition through through all the things that that happen to her with the ways that the the husband kills her sort of reflects the way that she is. She never actually speaks, does she? Does she ever say anything? I don't no, know. not not once. No, that's yeah. good. It's interesting. Um, yeah, that that plot line really does feel like it, it could be its own kind of classic J-horror kind of thing of, you know, the wife who keeps coming back from the dead. But, uh, yeah, it's really well choreographed as well. Obviously, the fight sequences are really entertaining. Like, they really, like, go all out with them. Like, they, they do, like, a very Matrix-y kind of thing with, like, lots of jumping off the ceiling and, you know, lev- levitating over his head. And, yeah, I'd say that's probably the most complete of the st- Yeah, the most that the one that could most be its own thing as yeah, well. Uh... All the all the effects are very impressive, given that it's it's sixteen years old, and, and none of them look unconvincing. Yeah, no, it looked really good. Mm. I think I'm sure there's a lot of films that are taking inspiration from this. Uh, did you have a favourite plot strand? Harry? Um, yeah, I think I like the, the three burglars best. The three burglars. Oh, see, I thought that one kind of lifted right out. That it, was the I one mean, that it, it was did, the least yeah. kind of tied to the like the others all like tied together really really well. And there are moments when the the, the gay thieves cross over. Obviously, they they break into the burglars' house. They, you know, they run into Vinnie Jones, but mm. I just felt like that one just slightly didn't connect with the other ones quite as much. Yeah, yeah, that's that, that's fair. Mm. Um, it, I think it is the most forgettable, maybe, but I think I like the plot of that one, like overall. Was it the song? Yeah, <laughs> it gets right in your head that one. It does. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's interesting. Um, these characters, their names are essentially the same names as the actors. Okay. So. Tsuda is played by Kanji Tsuda. Mm-hmm. Uh, Morishita is played by uh, Yoshi Yuki Morishita, and Jay is played by Jay or Jai West. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, is that all of these uh, actors? I think I'm not sure about Tsuda, but the other two have appeared quite often with um, the director uh, in his commercial work. Ah, okay. Especially Jai West. He he, he's appeared in quite a few of his um, commercials, as well as two of his earliest short films. He only, he's essentially did three short films and one feature film. Uh, and I don't, I can't find any evidence of him working since 2017. Oh. So yeah, he, he's, he's only ever done the one feature film. So I think those three characters, especially, it's probably because of the pre-existing director's relationship mm-hmm. that they, they end up being in the film. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what I read from it. Yeah, I couldn't tell as well. Like, I, I would assume that the um, the costumes in this film are as outlandish as the, the the decor, but I don't know what Japanese fashion generally was in two thousand four, so maybe it wasn't. But yeah, I did love the way those three just kind of looked like the Frog Brothers from the Lost Boys. <laughs> they seem to be wearing a lot of like. Yeah, it's, you know. it's, a, it's amazing. I, I think from what I read, initially they were planning to do a lot of the stuff on location, mm-hmm. but as as the director sort of became more and more outlandish with. Uh, 
the way he wanted sets to be designed it was sort of it seemed it was impossible so a lot of the stuff was just done on sets so that they can uh, achieve what the director wanted Mm -hmm. Uh, shall we move on to the drinking games portion of the podcast yeah let's cool Nefani do you have any drinking games prepared or I do uh, and one actually links into an interesting piece of trivia about the director so Well, the director is a really big fan of the the Hunshin Tigers, who are a essentially professional baseball team in Hyogo Prefecture in Japan. So in a lot of the director's work, he always tries to get tiger-themed objects (laughs) or things into the film. And there are Mm. a ton of them in this film. So the first would be, in one of the early scenes, you have the bedspread uh, that the commercial and the hypnotist uh, are having uh, mm-hmm. sex on it is mm-hmm. tiger we <laughs> also have it's, it's, it's slightly similar but in the very first scene where we see Jay he's wearing a, a leopard print top it's not quite a tiger but close enough then, <laughs> same, same basic you know then essentially the, the whole hypnotist show and appearance is a lot of tiger imagery there Mm-hmm. And another one that I noted is that the burglars, when they are playing cards in the family's house, the map they're playing cards on has a tiger print on it. Oh, well spotted. Yeah. yeah, I certainly had, um, not tiger-specific, but definitely animal-related decor, because, um, yeah, we, we, there's tigers everywhere. I did pick up on that. Also, um, the guy who kills his wife, he has a... His house just seems to be full of, like, carousel horses for some reason. Mm. They're just everywhere. Yeah. Um, There's a lot yeah, of the... eyes everywhere, but I think... Oh, the room full of... Time you saw an eye, then you... Yeah, the big yeah, creepy you know. room full of eyes. I was like, what What purpose does that serve in your house? Like, when did you think that's... <laughs> <laughs> when you were decorating this house, oh, let's have a big red room full of eyes. That'd be great when we're tripping. <laughs> that's some nightmare fuel. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, definitely drink for weird or creepy decor, specifically if it's animal related. Yeah, um, I've got drink for poor life functions. Poor life functions. Yeah, obviously <laughs> when he asked what your, what is your life function. Did anyone give him an answer that made him happy? It seemed like yeah, at the end his translator, translator just says, but you, but you never knew what it was. He whispered it. Oh, I thought his translator just said he didn't have one, and that was like okay, at least you admitted it. No, but... I, th- I think he just whispered it into his ear, and then oh, so we and never then, know. And, and, and then Vinnie Jones just burst out laughing. Okay, so we never actually find out what. Yeah. The right answer is okay. Yeah. We, we never find out what the broccoli said back to him when he asked. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the film ends with, well, Vinnie Jones' arc ends with looking at a piece of broccoli and going, What's your function? It's like <laughs> a question many, many children have asked over the years when they forced to eat the greens. <laughs> I also had drink for every time Vinnie Jones loses his temper generally. Just eat, he's. he's, he's Vinnie Jones, he's going to play a character who's quick to anger, but uh, mm-hmm. he certainly has a lot of emotional highs and lows in this film, which is uh, <laughs> yeah. quite entertaining. Uh, do you have any more, Nathaniel? Uh, well, probably I said music cues, so every time, the mm-hmm. uh, same sort of music cue, so the, the come baby, whenever you, uh, Jay <laughs> and Morishita look at each other, as well as like, like a commercial director, every time she gets an idea, does the music cue there. Yeah. I always find it really interesting that I mean, I've not seen that many foreign films, especially not J- Japanese films, but they seem to use a lot of English language music. Like the, a lot of the, this is full of like, like strange like 
English language punk or like even some some of the songs sound like they might have been recorded by Japanese artists, but in English because the lyrics are kind of nonsensical, but they're using English words, right? Yeah, I think it might just be because it, it's trendy. Um, mm-hmm. I think the the director is quite conscious about having quite a sort of more foreign Japanese than Japanese um, actors in here, like uh, Jai West, for example. He's um, Canadian Japanese. Um, okay. And and Reiko Hashimoto, who plays the wife, um, she I think she's Spanish Japanese. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, so he, they, there's quite a uh, there's. A, quite a bit of diversity in the, in the film which um, is um, a little unusual for a Japanese film I, I feel yeah and also Vinnie Jones of course so. of course yeah not, mm. he's not Japanese <laughs> <laughs> uh, Harry have you got any more? yeah drink whenever the dad coos like a bird mm-hmm yeah <laughs> <Big one. laughs> he does it very well like, he does yeah with the little pursed lips and the <laughs> I might add that the the actor who played uh, the the dad who believes he's a bird is a very well respected actor in Japan. He's been in more than a hundred films, and wow. in the nineteen nineties, he won the the Japan Academy Prize for Best Actor for a film that he was in. So, so it's, it's basically like Leo doing this. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, yes, yeah, so it's uh, it's quite hilarious. And I, I saw an interview with him where he was like he was talking about the stat the sound that. He uh, he was making as a bird. He's like, it was written in the script that uh, I make this sound, but um, they they were thinking that I I was a chicken, but I don't think chickens make that sound. I think pigeons do. So I behave like I was a pigeon, not a chicken. <laughs> I definitely got more pigeon than chicken. Definitely, right? definitely yeah. yeah. I, I agree there. I'm with him. Yeah. So are you saying that this would be like if they made an English remake of this, the role would go to like Dame Judi Dench or something? Is that what we're <laughs> yeah, saying? Maybe, maybe Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. Yes, yes. I think yes. Yeah, thinking about Tom Hanks. Judy Dench isn't above playing an animal. That is true. No, she's yeah, she's done worse. Um, <laughs> I had one thing I noticed about the dad is that like he seems to be in this uh, state of bird likeness for several weeks, if not months. I don't know. Uh, he's never seen out of that one suit, and, he's, and it's never dirty. No, because what's the one thing you think? What was the one thing a pigeon does? It, shit it everywhere. shits everywhere. That was my thought. I was like, oh, that's going to be a mess. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I the think film that decided makes it more hilarious, that. though, is it's sort of like, oh, he's a, he's a pigeon in a suit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, so I also had drink for Christmas references. It's not just the um, the fact that the the wife gets into a costume. The, the, there's lots of, if you watch it, there's lots of subtle Christmas references throughout the film. Like the cafe, I think, has a big Christmas set piece up at one point. Um, yeah, I, I think I think you see like a, yeah, a couple of, of Father Christmases in the background and they had mm. the Christmas lights up in uh, around as well. So mm-hmm. it, it's probably, it's not a very seasonal film, uh, unfortunately. But, uh, well, that's what I was going to ask. Is this a Christmas movie? Yeah, well, I think it is. It, one, yeah. one of the rare... <laughs> Non-English nah, language nah, Christmas. Nah, nah, nah. I'm not, I'm not having this as a Christmas movie. This is a movie where Christmas happens. <laughs> okay, but this wouldn't fit in a Christmas season. No, no, no. no. Like, <laughs> you know, everybody. Yeah, it's got a Christmas background. Everyone learns a valuable lesson about themselves. You know, <laughs> that's it's classic Christmas. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We still need to work on what the definition of a Christmas movie is, but we will come back to that in December. Okay, sure. Yeah, we'll park that for now, but yeah. we might well come back to this in December. And, uh, oh, God, we've got to do a whole other season of Christmas movies, haven't we? We're going to run out at some yeah, point. Yeah, we are running very low. <laughs> that, that, that is the one thing. That... I've got another Japanese Christmas film on okay. my mind, if, if you want one, by the time of December. 
All right, yeah, okay, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll bring we'll, you back in December. Yeah, we'll have you back in December. Cool. Great. Um, <laughs> okay, drink for every teaspoon of sugar that goes into that poor oh. man's coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that upset you. Look, he, he, lo- he, lo- he looks perfectly happy to go and drink that coffee, and then that th- his wife gives him, and then just takes it away at the last minute. Yeah, and then just like loads it up with sugar. I mean, he has just eaten. How like... the cup didn't overflow, I no. don't know. <laughs> he has just eaten like. Enough food to kill several men. Like yeah. he's, I think having a bit of too much sugary coffee is probably the least of his worries at that point in his day. But I mean, the last thing I want to kind of like you know finish off like finish off around meal is sugar water. <laughs> <laughs> With a hint of coffee. Yeah. <laughs> Fair oh enough. no, that made me angry. That did. I, I knew that'd be the kind of thing that would wind you up. Mm. No. <laughs> uh, Any more, Nathaniel? Uh, well, no, that was about it. I'm afraid. I mean, you could do the costume changes on the wife, but that's sort of the same as the wife coming back alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had I had drink for unusual outfits as well. The costume design across the board was quite interesting. Yeah. Like, all the waitresses seemed to be dressed like cartoon characters in that cafe. And uh... I had a drink for um, imperfect translations. Oh, how do you like in the in the subtitles? Well, like where like Vinnie Jones would say something, and then oh. this guy would say something in the trans- translation would just be slightly different, and sometimes it'd have a slightly different meaning. Yeah, or yeah, sometimes yeah. the guy would just be like, "This is me talking now. Yeah. <laughs> Screw you." Yeah, I couldn't tell how much of that was just the natural. When you do translate from another language, there is going to be subtle differences, or when, yeah. or how much of it was intentionally just to keep the film at this level of slightly offbeatness. But yeah, yeah, I did find that quite funny how he was... There were definitely times when that translator was fully just riffing. Like, yeah, yeah. Even Joe Cod, doesn't he? He gives this whole extended insult stream and then the guy said, did he, did he really say all that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, very good. Uh, my last one is just drink for Yoko's commercials. Yoko is the name of the commercial director. Oh, yeah. Every time she, uh, she, she does her... She has like a, a, a musical cue, doesn't she? And she starts blinking rapidly, mm. and then she'll start doing the fantasy, and uh, and then comes out and then goes. Yeah, then she has that exact same that Mutley from uh, yeah. yeah, catch the pigeon laugh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> great. Uh, okay, so yeah, that's all my drinking games. Are we all done? Yeah, cool. Well, Harry, then great. Okay, so uh, before we do our sequels, um, well, Nathaniel, I probably don't need to tell you. Because I believe you are one, but uh, I'm very grateful we are too. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's all right. Um, anybody who is not Nathaniel who is listening to this episode, you might want to become a Patreon of our show if you think that me and John have been good enough. Um, you can go to Patreon.com/slash Beyond the Box Set and you can support us for as much or as little as you think we're worth. We don't do a tiered system; we just do a pay-as-you-feel system. You get everything, no matter how much you pay. And the things you get are a bonus show where every now and then we review films that we've... Normally films that we see in the cinema, which we're looking forward to getting back into. In the meantime, we've been taking requests from people and working through some of those. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, once a month-ish, we do a Patreon Patreon episode, Mm -hmm. which is what this is, where we invite one of our Patreons to come on. They don't have to, but they can choose a film for us, um, guess if they want to or not. And... uh, yeah, that's always a good time, this included. Oh, yes. And what else do people get? They get extended episodes of the main show. They also get a 30-second advert slot on the main show as well. Yeah. Um, once a month per person. And uh, our Facebook group, too. Exclusive Facebook group yeah. for Patreons only. Mm-hmm. And that's all available at patreon.com slash set. Indeed. And uh, so shall we move on to our sequels? Yeah, sure. So, Nathaniel, what we normally do is, is we have our guests in the middle. So, does that work for you? Yeah, that's perfectly all right. 
Cool. Harry, would you prefer to go first? or? Yeah, wanna... I want to go first. You want to get yours done, yeah? Yeah, I, I don't want to build up anticipation at all. Okay, well, now you've done the exact Cause, opposite. Cause... So. <laughs> <laughs> Great! Um, okay, so uh, I'm just going to have to see if there's any sort of inconsistencies in this that... You know, the way I may have understood the plot of the original might... Uh, I mean, it's quite an abstract film. I, don't, I think you can probably get away with veering away from the plot yeah. here and there. Like. But basically what I've done here is I've, uh, I'm have i reimagining the original film. Okay. I'm just kind of making some... It's not really some changes to it. I'm just kind of showing how it can be interpreted. Okay. Are you saying that you would have done a better job than the actual not director? Not even... Like, that's not what this is. Okay, fine. Um, I'm not remaking. Okay. So anyway, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of a sequel, sort of. Okay. So we start off with the Birdman's family. Okay. I'm just going to refer to him as the Birdman. That's fine, yeah. Because um, you all know who I mean then, because so many people in this don't really have names. True, yeah. I, I think the killer with the wife is just credited as Man on IMDb. I know you found his name, Nathaniel, on, on a Japanese website, but IMDb just has him as Man, so... Sure. Yeah. Oh, I forgot to tell you uh, the mm. name of, of Vinnie Jones. The hitman's name is Jimmy Funky Knife. Jimmy oh, Funky Knife. That is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Who needs Mac the Knife when you've got Jimmy Funky Knife? Wow. <laughs> Jimmy Funky Knife. You know, if I could change my name by deed, Paul, that'd be right up there. <laughs> Jimmy Funky Knife. Jimmy Funk. I think I could pull that off. Yeah. Jimmy F Knife. <laughs> okay. So. In mind, we start off with the Birdman's family, um, and over a bit of time, the family starts to fall apart because of the dad's behaviour. Oh, so this is following on the plot after? Yeah. Okay. Um, the mother gets, well, she gets very tired of looking after dad and also can't financially support the family. Mm-hmm. Um, as a result, the children both go into foster care. They're not brought up by the mother oh, gosh, anymore. This is bleak. <laughs> yes. I mean, in this film, like, there's a lot of murder and stuff going on. Sure, it's but you know, the family stays together. Sure, well, whatever. I mean, she still stays in their lives, but only loosely. Okay, fine. Uh, so has the dad been committed or something? Or no, the dad just roams free. He just flies off, okay. Um, free bird. Yeah, and he makes his own life as a wild animal, slowly okay. learning to be a better bird. Okay. Um, as the years pass uh, with the bird man, he, he finds himself outliving all the other birds that he, you know... Oh, so he's with. joined a flock. He's joined a flock. Okay, right. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, as, as he starts outliving them all, he becomes the elder of the flock. Okay. Now, is this like a flock of pigeons? Yeah. So is he like a city bird? Pretty much, yeah. Okay, so okay, so he's the king pigeon of a <laughs> city flock of Japanese pigeons. Yeah. Okay, I'm, I'm on board. And he earns the deepest respect from all the other pigeons and becomes their leader. Okay. <laughs> I like this. This is good. So, cut to 20 years later. Right. And his son um, now has a massive resentment for his parents. Mm -hmm. Understandably so, yeah. Blaming all the problems he's had, basically, on his parents. He's messed them up quite a bit. Um, He has married somebody, but his resentment for his parents has now transferred into both her and himself. He hates his wife. He hates himself. He's quite a a bitter man. Mm Mm-hmm. One day, um, after he comes back from a hard day at the office, his wife has slaved away all day, making a feast for him. And after he finishes it, he decides it wasn't as good food as his mum used to make. And he takes it out on his wife, ending, ending up in her death. Oh, I see what you've done here, so... Burying her in a drive away in the woods. Sorry, burying her a drive away in the woods. And this is where the film connects to the original. Hmm. So if that guy is actually the Birdman's son, that kind of makes a whole new... Yeah. Takes, brings that whole bit where he saves him into a whole new meaning. So yeah, she comes back, tries to kill him, he kills her, and so on, mm-hmm. until he eventually pays her a compliment and um, <laughs> learns to like her again. <laughs> I love how that's the resolution. Yeah. Well, the, the the problem with their marriage was that he hated his wife. 
Well, I think, yeah, communication was clearly the issue. Neither of them speak, so... <laughs> <laughs> yes, very good point. Yeah, so it's just... And he learns to appreciate his wife again, mm-hmm. um, even though that does take a lot of effort on her part. And, sure. You know, you... I mean, it, it does take a very big woman to forgive a man for, you know, murdering her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, on one of these repeats, he obviously hires hitman Vinnie Jones, who he remembers from being the hitman to kill his dad's hypnotist okay. when he was a small boy. And of course, when Vinnie Jones comes back to give a box of chocolates, the wife is killed, who he learned to love. So this is all from the original, of course. Okay. Then at the lowest point of this guy's life, um, he goes into Vinnie Jones's office, or whatever that place was, mm-hmm. and uh, burns a photo of his dead wife and attempts suicide, only to be rescued by his own father, who he hasn't seen for 20 years. Oh, okay. So what you're doing is you're positing that that there's the 20 year gap in the film that we don't get shown. Yeah. But that's okay. That, that I don't think the Birdman plot is particularly tied to a space or time I can't like technology wise so yeah I can, I can buy yeah. that and so he's saved by his own dad who now believes that he can fly okay even though he's just being held up by about a hundred pigeons who he's oh commanding. okay so he's he's actually not flying with yeah, magical yeah, beliefs. he's, he's like attached all, all the actual pigeons are, are flying him yeah it's nothing supernatural it's all completely realistic okay. he's just being flown like by invisible by strings pigeons. Like, yeah <laughs> yeah pretty much and so during this um, the man gets a he gets a new sense of hope um, seeing that his dad has learned to live with all that he's got or hasn't got and has become a massive success in his field. His field of being a pigeon. Being a pigeon, yes. Okay. <laughs> but he's the best pigeon. You right. know? And so thinking, okay, if my dad, who I thought was a complete failure, if he can do this, I can do anything. I can you know, learn to make a life even though I've lost my wife. Mm-hmm. And he looks down and in the window of a cab, he sees his long-lost sister. Oh, okay. I like this. You're making the connections. Uh, little be known to him has just abandoned her dream of becoming an advertiser. But seeing her brother and father in the sky together, having settled their differences, also learns not to give up on her dream. Okay. That's pretty much it. Oh, so it's an inspirational tale. Yeah. Oh, very good. Well, how do the gay teams... I couldn't try. I couldn't See, bring him in. See, right they out, don't they? I really tried. I really tried. Maybe, oh, who could they be in this? Yeah, I just couldn't work out how they could be related in any way. Nathaniel, have you got any ideas? No, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I'm as stumped as you. Yeah, they just don't tie in with the other one. The characters, do they? They no. really are just a little satellite. But Yeah, no, they, they, they just kind of bump along and, you know, they they were in the closet of that family and maybe they, the si- met, they met Vinnie Jones Well, once, maybe the but... sister decides to carry on with her directing career after all to persist mm. and then she ends up casting those three boys she just meets them on the street and says you guys look like the youth of the country why don't you mm-hmm. star in my new campaign and then they and they can be like a nod to the fact that the actors are, have all appeared in the actual director's yeah. commercials so maybe um maybe she then directs a commercial that's like promoting gay rights or something sure about these two people that have just come out of the closet and just yeah like a daring this... LGBT um, advert for Japanese television yeah mm. okay that could work and then maybe that really sorts out her career yeah yeah definitely there you go we Ooh. just brought him in <laughs> really have you got a title for that <laughs> no I really couldn't think of a title either I'm sorry oh okay well um... I don't really know where to go from survive style 5 plus I don't really know what to do <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a bit of a mouthful, unfortunately. Um, yeah, definitely doesn't need a colon and then another. No. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, survive style six plus is is probably it doesn't really have a, a very good uh, link other than just one integer above. Uh, yeah, and it, 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 just, it sounds yeah. like the latest iPhone model as well. Yeah. <laughs> Something about connections, maybe like a connect style five or 
I don't know. All in the family. Survive style 20 years plus later. Yeah. 20 plus years later. Yeah. I think that's the best I'm going to get. Survive okay. style 20 plus years later. Cool. Right. Okay. Moving on. Moving Nathaniel, what have, you, what, what have you got to, for us? Well, I, uh, I spent quite a while thinking of this. Mm-hmm. So all of this week, I because I hadn't seen anything else from the director aside from this film, I, mm-hmm. I hunted down a lot of his commercial work, his short films, and I, and I watched through them. So eventually I came to the conclusion is what if I were to mash together some of his commercials and uh, into a sort of a sequel for Survive Style 5 Plus. Okay. Uh, particularly he has, um, he's probably he is most awarded, he got like a, a can Silver Lion for um, a commercial in 2000 called The Running Woman for like a television station called Wow Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and <laughs> Sounds like a great one show. Of short, one of his short films is called Bus Panic and another one which was in 2011 which was sort of part of a collection of four was called The House of Abandoned Businessmen and I <laughs> sort of riffed on those okay. to create a story so I'll take it away go for it So the, the film opens with a bus pulling alongside a lone figure holding a duffel bag okay. boards the bus this is Jay from the first film once the bus begins moving again, Jay reaches into the duffel bag and pulls out a shotgun. Nobody move. I'm hijacking this bus. He gestures to the bus driver. Keep driving. I'm going to pass around this bag. Everyone will leave all their valuables and money in the bag if they want to leave this bus alive. Then we cut to the scene of a woman. So I've, I've actually specified an actor for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I watched a film by Sion Sono from 2016 called Anti-Porno and the lead role is, is, is a woman who does a, quite a tour de force performance called Ami Tomita okay. I'm just going to call this character Ami so, okay. mm-hmm. so the scene opens with this woman, Ami, who arrives at a house late at night that has been abandoned for the past 14 years so Ami has just qualified to become a police officer and is moving into the area that she's just been assigned. She should be happy about this, but she has two worries in her life. Firstly, she has been assigned the position of a parking enforcement officer, and it's a small town. So this falls below her ambitions of an exciting life fighting crime in the police force. Secondly, she has never maintained a relationship every time a man or woman has asked her on a date, which has been three people so far, She's been compelled to run away from them and never sees them again. She was a champion long-distance runner in school, so this has been pretty easy for her. <laughs> she literally runs away. <laughs> she just literally just runs away whenever someone just says, you want to go out on a date. It's not the reaction so you fu- want, is it? <laughs> Further to this, shortly afterwards, all of the people who have shown interest in her have died in freak accidents. Oh, no. Leading her friends and family to believe her either responsible or cursed. Oh dear. Nevertheless, she plans to put her past troubles behind her and make a new life here. In this house, she bought sight unseen for a bargain. <laughs> she opens a door, the lights are already on, and the interior does not look like it is aged at all since the house was abandoned. She is pleased to find the house already furnished, although she feels she need to remodel. The walls <laughs> are adorned with strange symbols and pictures. She walks into the kitchen 
and turns her attention to the fridge, which is emitting a faint mechanical buzzing sound. She opens the fridge and sees four cartons of milk inside the door. <laughs> Surprisingly, the label indicates that they're still fresh, and feeling thirsty from her long journey, she opens a carton and takes a swig. She looks right towards the dining table, and sitting behind it are the three deceased suitors, and she spits out the milk. <laughs> this mirrors the... Oh, the I see. Okay. Yeah. It's the same house. Um, oh, so maybe the house so, is the curse. Okay. Yeah, well, that's, that's why I'm, I'm sort of I'm riffing on that. Okay. So, okay. It, and then we cut to another scene. So it's the next morning, and Tsuda... Well, it's the morning, just the, the same morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Tsuda, who was the third burglar in the film, who, who got a job at by the end of the film, is getting ready for work. He kisses his wife and young children goodbye and walks out the door. He gets in his car and drives five minutes down the road. He parks illegally on a street. He knows the local parking enforcement officers do not travel and then walks a couple of minutes to a children's playground and sits down on the swing. Suda has lost his job and in Japanese society is expected that people have their entire working life in a single company. Mm-hmm. If a person were to lose a job, it's extremely difficult to find new employment. Ashamed that he has lost his job, Suda is keeping up appearances to his unknowing family and spends his days in the playground wondering what will happen when his savings run out. Today is different, however, because there's another man in the playground sitting on top of the slide. <laughs> Cut again, back to Ami. So she looks at the three figures behind the table in disbelief. Before she can say anything, they get up and start running towards her. She runs away, bolts out the door, gets in her car and drives away. She spends the rest of the night sleeping in her car. So we're back at the children's playground. So Tsuda finally plucks up the courage to confront the other man on the slide. What are you doing here? Won't you be late for work? I lost the job. My lob job, he replies. I'm hiding here so my family doesn't find out. Hide somewhere else, Tsuda remarks. This is my territory. You don't own this playground, he replies. This is public property. I can see you are just like me. I'm not like you. I can create my own company if I wanted to. If I only had money and people to work with. So Tsuda stops himself. His idea was forming in his mind. If he were to start a company with other employed people operating out of the playground, they wouldn't have any expenses. Mm-hmm. And they could just make money. <laughs> so, hey, he attracts attention to a man on the slide. I have an idea on how to find work if you're interested. So following this is a montage where Tsuda uh, goes around just picking up people, just... Uh, businessmen who are out of work just sitting down and hiding about the town so by the end he's got a group of about 20 people they're all in the playground so they have all the different departments so you have the customer service on the slide you have the uh, accounts on the seesaw uh, and you have the uh, consultant representatives on the monkey bars oh excellent excellent. (laughs) I can picture this this is great so then we cut back to Ami. So she wakes up with someone knocking on her window. It's a police officer. He says, oh, you can't sleep here. Sorry, uh, I, I'm just, I'm new here. Uh, I, I, I lost my way home, she lies. Um, I, I just, I ju- um, I'm actually a police officer and I'm working for the parking enforcement division. She says, oh, that's, uh, that's great. I'll, I'll show you around the station. So then 
sort of montage of Ami learning the ropes. Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of a, maybe a couple of weeks passed. And then we... It's a new morning. Suda leaves, kisses his wife goodbye. They're, they're actually making good money out of the playground. Um, Does his family know that he's working from a playground? Or is this like his, se- his no, secret? No, they, they still think he, he's still employed with his old employer. Okay, right. Um, so, so this time he, he leaves uh, a little early. Mm-hmm. He parks illegally in the same position as last time. Um, but this time, Ami is there. And she tries to give him a ticket for parking illegally. Mm-hmm. We cut again to the playground. All of the people there getting ready for the day's work. However, there's a problem. It's starting to rain. They can't work like this. <laughs> so one of them has the great idea of, hey, why don't we just buy tickets for the bus and stay on the bus all day and work from there? <laughs> we'll, we'll text Suda uh, and, he'll, um, and he'll sort of uh, try to catch up and, and get on the bus when he arrives. So they all climb on the bus. <laughs> cut back to in the first scene this is the same bus that jay then boards and hijacks <laughs> oh no so he's, he's, he's passed he's passing around the duffel bag and he notes that there's not any money coming in and he, he says what there's 20 of you businessmen here where's all your money we're all broke we don't have jobs <laughs> so then he finally passes around to an old lady and she puts a stack of about ten thousand dollars worth in. She was a rich lady on a retreat. At the time. Sure, yeah, why not? I'm <laughs> just on the bus. Yeah. We cut back to Tsuda. Ami is trying to give him a ticket, but he turns on the windscreen wipers so that she can't, he can't, she can't actually place it on the windscreen. So he ta- trick in taps the on. She taps on her wind, uh, his window, and he rolls it down a little. Uh, she tries to put her hand in to give him a ticket, but he quickly rolls it back up again, trapping her hand in the window. He then starts driving off with her attached to the car, with her running alongside, saying, trying to make, get him to stop. As he's going, he sees all of his uh, employees mm-hmm. uh, board the bus, so he starts to follow them in the car, with Ami trapped alongside, running alongside. This isn't too hard for her, given that she was a <laughs> champion long-distance runner. Well, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> so, finally, it cuts back to the bus. Jay is like, okay, I don't want anyone to make alarm. I'm making sure that no one calls the police. Uh, I'll get off at the, the next stop, uh, <laughs> and then you can go, go about your day. Suddenly, he looks to the right, and sees a police officer, Tommy, <laughs> running alongside the bus. Oh no. <laughs> then, Tsuda, he cracks the, the, the window down. Uh, Ami is still running, she sees the hijacker. Jay opens the window and says, Tsuda, what are you doing here? Of course, he knows him because they were once burglars together 14 years ago. Of course, yeah. And he's like, oh, I'm just, I'm trying to catch the bus because these are all my employers. And he's like, you, you brought a police officer here. What are you doing? Suddenly, Ami, using her skills as a long-distance runner, jumps through the window and disarms Jay. The bus stops. Tsuda then gets on the bus and 
everyone leaves except for Ami, Suda, Jay, and the bus driver. So Ami, Ami says to them, okay, Suda, I won't give you a ticket and arrest you if you hold this guy here while I get back up. So she gets off the bus, which has stopped, to, do, uh, to call in the station. Mm-hmm. However, the bus doors close. The bus driver, it was Morishita all along. Oh my god, the trio is reunited. <laughs> yeah. Jay goes, take it away, darling. They drive off with the $10,000. Roll credits. Excellent. Oh, wow. That was bravo, bravo. That was very that tight. Was really was good. good. I like how you, yep, much in the style of the original, this bunch of seemingly inc- unconnected plot lines, they all come together and pay off in the end. That was very, very good. Excellent. <laughs> what, did you say, what did you say the title of that was? Oh, I... I didn't have a Or was it just inspired by... What was the one you said it was inspired by? Ten. So it was inspired by Bus Panic and the, Bus... the House of Abandoned Businessmen. That's and it, okay. The, the Running Women as well. Okay. So. They're all good working titles. I think we can just nab those for this. <laughs> yeah. Bus Panic. Fantastic. Oh, very, very good. Very, very good. Uh, okay. I will do mine now. We'll round it off. Uh, so mine's not a million miles away from Harry's, actually. Uh, in the, It's kind of a... It re- revisits the original and kind of it's almost like an origin story but you'll see you'll see as I kind of go through it so but it does start as a after the events of the original with the commercial director whose name was Yoko so obviously at the end of the film she's had this kind of revelation she's lost her beloved dictaphone uh, and so she has a revelation that she's not actually suited for the job that she's been pursuing all this time as a commercial writer director she she realizes now that's her ideas, while creative, are just too out there for commercial advertising. Because as somebody who actually who works in in marketing in the real world, I can say that uh, yeah, it's not a place where creativity thrives. So um, yeah, her ideas are just too out there, and they're, they're never going to sell. So she decides to leave all that behind and embark on a new career as an independent filmmaker. So she's taking a risk. She's kind of uh, taken a whole new career journey. She's been inspired, um, but because she lost her dictaphone, she's also lost all of her ideas. So she needs some new ones. So in order to find inspiration and do some research for her first picture, her first script that she's working on, she uh, she starts reading some local newspapers. And one piece that catches her eye is a story about a middle-aged family man who has a nervous breakdown and spends months living as a bird. So she goes to, to visit him with a new dictaphone in hand um, and he tells his story to her. Uh, and he admits that... Uh, so what we're going to do is, with the birdman here, obviously this is the birdman from the original film... Uh, he, he talks to Yoko and he admits that uh, when he visited the hypnotist show, his life was at a really low point. He was broke, he was struggling to provide for his family, he hated his job and he was just generally very, very miserable. So when the hypnotist pretended to turn him into a bird, it didn't actually work. He didn't start believing he was a bird. But he had this split-second epiphany in that moment that his life would be a lot easier if he was, in fact, a bird. He could, li- <laughs> he could literally spread his wings and fly free. <laughs> So in that moment, he decided to pretend. So he pretended that he had been successfully hypnotized. Uh, and he found that the more he pretended, the, f- the freer he felt. And all his responsibilities suddenly disappeared. And the- By the way, I just, I just forgot the, uh, the, the, the best bit of my idea. Okay. Or the bit I was most proud of. Was that how it all concludes at the end with everybody seeing him or whatever. Or he's flying and stuff. Um, he's flying, but he can, he can believe he can fly. Over the credits, it plays "I Believe I Can Fly" by R. Kelly. Okay, you know that song. I don't think you're allowed to play that anymore. Since no, I think it... we, he got arrested for like weeing on children. Did so, he? Yeah. 
Hmm, what a weirdo. Yeah, I don't think that song gets a lot of play these days. But sure, maybe we can get someone to cover it and not pay many royalties. Great. Anyway, so... <laughs> Apologies for that. Yo- that's all right. So, Yoko, she hears this story from the Birdman, and it gives her an idea. She starts blinking rapidly, and it inspires her to write a story about a man who actually becomes a bird after hypnotism goes awry. Mm-hmm. So she adds... So the kind of... The vibe I'm going for here is that Yoko, as kind of you hit on Nathaniel earlier, is the stand-in for the writer-director of this film. So she's... It's, it's about how she's finding inspiration for the other stories. So this is a story about a guy who has a nervous breakdown and pretends to be a bird. She then takes that story and turns into this like more fantastical idea about the hypnotist getting murdered, the guy actually thinking he's a bird, learning how to fly, all that kind of stuff. So she turns it from like a, a, a sad real-life story into kind of a, a fantastical parable. So uh, that's she's got that story, and that gives her the, the, the beginning points of this film she's going to make. The next story she reads is a news story, another news story in the local paper about a woman who fell back in love with her husband after he tried to have her killed. And she interviews the, that couple too. Uh, and the woman admits that their marriage had become stale and loveless. But when the hitman arrived, the husband lost his nerve at the last moment and tried to call it off, ultimately fighting off the hitman and saving his wife's life. And she admits that while it was initially quite upsetting that her husband had taken a hit out on her, uh, the brush with death did reignite the spark in their relationship and it brought them closer together. And so through that, Yoko is inspired again to write a story about a man who murders his wife, only for her to keep coming back from the dead and haunting him until they um, until they reconcile. She also learns in the course of this research that the hitman who the husband had hired was an Englishman who was on holiday at the time. She interviews him while from prison, because obviously he's been arrested, via an interpreter, because he speaks no Japanese, and learns that he makes peace with his profession as a hitman, because he's obsessed with uh, philosophy. He's really into philosophy and he believes that everything has a purpose, including him as a hitman. So that's how he kind of abdicates moral responsibility for killing people. And so that inspires her third story about a hitman in a foreign land who doesn't speak the language and who becomes obsessed with discovering people's function in life. And finally, last of all, she reads a story about a pair of gay teenagers who were arrested for breaking into people's houses, inspiring a story about two young men who discover their feelings for each other while on a petty crime spree. And now that she has all of these stories, she decides to write an interweaving fantasy, which all of those stories intersect. And she also includes herself as a version, as a protagonist in the story as well. And the film kind of ends with her premiering her own film, not in front of a board meeting for a headache tablet company, <laughs> but at a Jap- but Japan's premier independent filmmaking festival, at which it gets a rapturous reception. And uh, so it's kind of a film within a film. I like it. Yeah. So that That's was... Survive Style 5, Blink and You'll Miss It. Nice. Because, you know, she blinks a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Ah. No, somebody actually wrote a title for this I did, episode. yes. I guess that mine's, I guess mine's <laughs> the one's getting used for the, for the episode. So. <laughs> that was good. That was, that was a very John idea. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Kind of just kind of flowed naturally, that one. Uh, great. Okay. So, um, normally this would be the place where we go to listener submissions, but unfortunately this film is not particularly widely known, so we don't actually have any. Nope. Unless you have any, Harry. Nope, sorry. No. If we, fa- if we get any- that. No, that's alright. I-, I like seeing films that nobody's seen. I, I think it's good, and hopefully because this film's on YouTube, we will have had an opportunity to, you know, bring it to some new people. Because if you listen to this, it's definitely worth watching. So I will provide the link to the film, the YouTube link, assuming it still works, um, in the episode description. So if you listen to this and you feel like this is an interesting film that you want to see, I do recommend it, mm. then uh, yeah, go see it and then let us know. Hopefully, if you do see it, you could probably put your ideas for sequels in the comments as well. Exactly, exactly. And then yeah. we'll maybe read them out on a future episode. 
So with that in mind, uh, yeah, please do consider that. If you do watch this film, you can uh, leave a comment under the blog post or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter and tell us your ideas there. Uh, you can also listen to more episodes of Beyond the Box Sets by subscribing and browsing our back catalogue on any podcasting platform, including iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and many others, all of which you can also leave us a five-star review if you like. It really helps us to find new listeners. Uh, we're also available on Patreon, which is where we found the lovely Nathaniel, so please do consider joining our little community there. You can get all the bonus features that Harry described to us earlier, <laughs> and all those links are also available in the description below or at beyondtheboxset.com. Mm-hmm. And Harry, uh, was I think are we back on free choice now? Yeah, I believe so. Is it me? Is it my turn? I think so. Because I did, did. Did I do black sheep? You did black sheep, and we've had two guests. So unless you've got something lined up, because I'm just no. no. Okay. Well, I'm just going to pull one off the shortlist then, since I've not really got anything particularly mm. in mind. So I'm going to suggest that we do a classic '90s comedy that I'm very fond of, called In and Out. In and Out. Yes. I don't know it at all. I think you'll like it. It's a good oh, film. Okay. Do you know Nathaniel? No, I've never heard it at all. Okay, it's a Kevin Klein comedy from the nineties. It's very good, but uh, we will read. We'll, we'll uh, come back to that next week. We'll see what you thought. Yeah, but, uh, so f- thank you, Nathaniel, very much for joining us. It's, it has been long overdue, and we look forward to having you back again. Maybe maybe for a Christmas Japanese classic for uh, in December. We'll see. Well, well, thank you uh, too very much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Is there anything, I know you don't have a blog or a podcast, is there anything you'd like to plug, anything of yourself or anything, anything just something generally you'd like to oh, flog at this not moment? Not really. Uh, well, I, I do have an, a letterbox under my name where I'll, I'll, I just add in the the films that I, I see. Uh, I, I'm seeing quite a lot at the moment, so if anyone else has a letterbox and would just like to follow and see what type of films I see, then you can do that. Uh, you'll just find it under my name, um, Nathaniel DeBell. Um, but otherwise, mm-hmm. that, that's all. Great. We'll put that link in the description as, uh, as well then. Yeah. Okay. So thanks very much, Nathaniel. And thank you, Harry. And yeah. uh, we will please join us next week for In and Out. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Nathaniel. See you next time. See you. Bye. Bye.